pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mentzel, a.k.a. Menners. And in this week's edition of the show, I have my good friend, Gav Joshi, on the phone all the way from Ranchi. Is it, Gav? How are you? I'm very well. I am in Ranchi, the hometown of MS Dhoni, but he's out of town while the test match is going on. Can you believe it? I thought BCCI would have set that up nicely, where he will be the man who, you know, gets the crowd and people into this stadium, which is about three or four kilometres outside of Ranchi. So I'm a little bit surprised, but I must say, Ranchi is a nice little town, and I'm actually a little bit surprised that they're actually hosting a test match here, because Ranchi is not one of the biggest cities that I've been to in India, so... It's not like Mumbai or Bangalore, but I'm hoping that a crowd turns up and watches this test match because it's going to be really fascinating given that all the talk prior to this test match has all been about pitch and all the controversy. I'm really excited, Menas. Yeah, I'm really excited too. I've also been a bit worried though because yesterday the first pictures of the pitch came out and it looks like a very strange looking Indian wicket. It almost looks like a sort of clay surface that you'd see in the West Indies. It's very unusual. Now you've been there. Can you explain to the listeners what the wicket looks like and what you think it'll do when they actually go to play this test match? Well, yeah, I was at the weekend. I chat a lengthy chat with the curator as well. He gave me all a little bit of technical uh, sort of explanations, which you know I love about soils and silt levels and so forth. But um, well, the, the main thing is because it's got a, such a dark nature to it, and just the way they've watered it, and he's watered it sort of a little bit in, in in patches, or some patches are drying quicker than the others, and that's what's given it sort of a patchy, dark look. It almost looks like as somebody's described it, as burnt toast. <laughs> um, but, but the main thing is, the reason why the wicket is so dark is because the clay over here in this part of India uh, is actually comes from a particular river. Now, the curator has basically said, in Australia, a lot of our soil comes from very close to coastal towns and a lot of it's close to the sea. While here, because we're in inland, they have to get the soil that's made for the pig from of the rivers that flow in this area. So that clay is, is very dark in colour. And when it's when you've got dark clay and it, along with it's dark soil, it gives it a very, as you mentioned, a little bit of a, sub, uh, a West Indian sort of look to it. Add to it, like, a watering that's gone on as well, and the grass has an, is, is a little bit uneven. But the reason why he's done that is, is that he wants to ensure that the grass roots have grown deep inside uh, to make sure that the surface stays is binded together. Now I can confirm to you that the way he's explained it that this pitch will not crumble. Um, yes, there are tiny little cracks there, but it will not crumble and it will not go powdery. So that's what he's told me. So let's hope if that's the case. I think what we're going to get here is a, a pitch which is going to have low, which is going to stay extremely low, and it's going to be very slow. So. If you're looking for something on day one, Menas, I can tell you I don't think we were going to get either teams on day one or day two throughout the test match scoring more than 230, 240 runs in a day. I'll be very surprised. I could be wrong. Um, and I'm sure that you know, a few people got that Bangalore pitch completely wrong as well. But I think that's what the pitch is expected to do. I've gone and sort of he's even pointed a uh, uh, adjacent pitch to me, which I, uh, which I saw, which he said that will be what the pitch will be like on day four. And to me, it didn't look 
as crumbly or anything like Pune. Um, I think it's just going to be very slow, very low. That's what we're going to have to watch out for. So you'd expect the slow, low nature of the pitch will nullify Australia's fast bowling unit and play right into the hands of, say, Ravi Ashwin and Jadeja. Is that is that the thinking behind this? And I wanted to ask you, Gav, are you on this mysterious BCCI pitch committee that travels around in cloak and dagger before the test match and gives the go-ahead? Uh, are you on that committee? I was actually offered that uh, role just be, be, before the Pune test, and I, I did my best bit as much as I can, and, and, and it worked wonders because Australia ended up going 1-0. Unfortunately, after that, that is, I've actually been removed from that committee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they noticed your bias. They, they, I think they did. They, they might have, you know, gone by the reputation, and they must have figured out that no, uh, you know, we need to get rid of this block and bring in more of a, a, a specialist who's got the power tools that can work throughout the night and make sure that you know the pitch suits the the Australian, the Indian spinners a little bit more. But just going back to that pitch, you're absolutely correct. I, I mean, it will take uh, the Australian fast bowlers out of the picture. I mean, if Pat Cummins plays, I don't think it matters because he's so quick through the air. It might take Josh Hazelwood out as well. And also someone like someone like Nathan Lyon because Nathan Lyon gets a lot of these wickets, you know, goes to bat pad or even catch a slip. And if there's not enough bounce there, and you feel like Nathan Lyon might just struggle because he doesn't get a lot of bowls and LBWs. So that's also reason why we might have this low, slow pitch. Although the already said we've never had a pitch which is which has had um, you know a lot of bounce and pace. If you look through the domestic history, uh, it's never been there. So it's not like the pitch has been completely sort of manipulated to suit India. That's just how the, all the pitches. It's no surprise, though, is it? I mean. That's what we knew we were going to get when we got to India. It was hardly like they were all of a sudden going to start producing green tops for our fast bowlers. So as much as people have been sort of disappointed with the standard of wickets so far, it's it's not unexpected. And it's, it's hard to blame India because if they produce more sporting wickets, they'd probably be down 2-0 in the series already. Yeah, I mean, look, I... I, I... I can go on about, we can discuss this topic as much as we want, but this is what Australia would have been expected. This is why we went out to Dubai and trained. So um, you're absolutely spot on. We were never going to get confronted by a, a green seamer. Um, and it's just full credit to Australia. I think we should going to stick to what we did so well in, in Pune. It was a fabulous effort. I mean, that was a pitch that, you know, India felt that they could just roll the Australian server, but it ended up going the other way. So I've got to keep those positives in mind rather than saying this pitch is going to keep well. You've got to work out methods. I think all international teams, is, that's what that's what good teams do. They manage to win abroad and Australia started this you know, series on the right path. I'm not sure why we're deviating about talking about these pitches. This is what we expected. This is what we've come to train for. This is the team that we've picked to play in these conditions. Now, let's get on with it. If, if the pitch has no bounce, you should be able to good, good enough to work it out. Whether it's regardless of we don't do it when it, it's sort of England or India or New Zealand come to our shores, that's irrelevant. Right now, this is a situation that's in front of you, and you, you've got to approach it in, in that positive frame of mind. You don't want to be you're mentally scarred and thinking about what may happen. It's about, yes, this is what we've got. Learn to accept and then play. And that's how Australia did it in the first test match and was successful. 
Very philosophical, Gav. Uh, I like that attitude. I hope you're getting in the ear of the Aussies with that sort of talk. Now, I want to break down the Aussie team because there's a few positions up for grabs. But before we do that, Gav, you're over there in the hotbed of this controversy that's going on at the moment in India. It feels like it's Australia v India in in all aspects. Um, You've got the journos at it. You've got conspiracy theories being bandied about. I want to ask you firstly, do the Indians hate Steve Smith now after what happened in Bengaluru? No, I don't think they hate Steve Smith. I think there's probably a little bit more hatred towards Australian journalists at the moment after all the stories about that, about the pitch doctoring, also the, the DRS or the cheat gate. Uh, I mean, talking about the BCCI and the influence it has on pitches. It's probably diverted towards that way rather than any of the players. I mean, you just have to look at when Steve Smith puts on something on Instagram talking about his, you know, his bat manufacturing company that he visited and how many likes he gets. So I don't think so. I don't think there's sort of that hatred towards anyone. I think they just absolutely adore the Australian cricketers. Um, I think it, it, their sort of reflection about Australian cricketers might be changing uh, throughout this tour about what's been written in the newspapers. But it, clearly, I don't think there's any form of whinging by any Australian player that I've come across in the last sort of, you know, uh, of a couple of test matches. I think it's been, yes, that's how it is. We, so I don't think so. I think, I think Hayes... So there's no lingering resentment that Smith was let off from um, the DRS referral? He wasn't fined, he wasn't sanctioned? There's no sort of lingering anger from the... Uh, Indian public? No, not really. I mean, I think they they go by what the you know the, the reputations of uh, what the former players like Sunil Gavaskar and, and so forth say about these things. So if he has a very negative view on it, then they sort of jump on that um, boat. But no, I don't think so. I, I think you know it, it, we saw that in Bangalore. I mean, after somebody when uh, Sean Marsh getting a fifty and 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 Renshaw getting fifty, they stood up and applauded, which, which was. You know, uh, which is very good. Of course, you're going to get sections of the. That's good. To yeah, hear. of course you're going to get sections of the crowd, which you're going to, you know, as India sort of given the heat it of you know, day four. We well, get them in Australia. Yeah, don't we you? get them everywhere, and we love that. We love, you know, that's that's what you go and watch cricket for because it's cricket, you want cricket fans to be passionate. So back to what you were saying about there seems to be some animosity to, towards the Australian journalists. Now I was listening to a, an Indian journalist on. English radio a few days ago and he was saying that the Australian journalists have gone down a road of conspiracy theories and writing all these odd stories um, which I thought's unfair. I mean you and I both know a lot of these journos. I've been reading some of the articles. They all seem pretty on the money to me. You're over there. Have I got this wrong? I mean are the Aussie journos not covering the tour appropriately? And I understand it's a difficult one for you. Well I mean... (laughs) Covering the tour appropriately, I mean, that that can be looked at many different ways. Clearly, according to the Indian, some of the Indian journalists' eyes or some of the public, they're not covering it right because they're not writing anything on cricket. All their stories seem to be uh, about, as I mentioned, about, you know, the cheat saga and then the DRS saga and, and, and pitch doctoring, rather than focusing on, you know, how well Matt Renshaw is played or, you know, how well sort of Pajara grinded it. Um, Australia out of that test match. It seems to be a lot, nothing about on field. It seems to be completely about off field. And whenever anything's discussed on field, it seems to be about fledging. So I think that's upset uh, people. But that's just a different culture. I mean, if 
if, if an Indian journalist, if you're catering for the Indian public, you need to write technical because I think people here soak in the game a lot more. If, even if they go to the grounds, they'll, they'll go and watch every single ball rather than, you know, go duck out the back and go for that beer or two and miss that half an hour. Here, people are just glued to their television, don't want to miss a ball. And if they miss a ball, they, go, they want to know what happened. Um, I don't think in Australia we watch cricket that intensely as what they do in India. And because of that, you need to be able to sell your newspaper to the right audience. And I keep explaining to some of the Indian journalists that while it, you might look at what some of the Australian journalists write as, in a, as a dedicated sort of agenda, it's what caters for the Australian public. Uh, and, and I mean, this is what... So it, it, it is a little bit disappointing from their way, but you just got to understand that at the end of the day, you're trying to sell the news and you've got to find the best way to sell the news, whether whichever angle you take. Well, well, I'm going all in on the Aussie journos, Gav. I'm going to back them up. I, I don't like this other journos coming out and slamming the Aussie journos for what they're writing. I just think it's it's not very professional. I mean, that's I guess everyone's allowed to have their own opinion, method. I mean, clearly there's some who think that you know, they just lack any cricket knowledge. Even that's been mentioned. And I said, well, you know, you probably see them. I think all of them are glued to the, you know, action whenever it's going on. And and you don't have to write about how where a leg flip was positioned while Nathan Lyon was bowling, um, it's because it just won't get the audience. And, and and that's what they have to figure. So, yeah, there is a bit happening, but I think it's just a change of cultures again and just the way how you address the right audience. And that, that's what's the big difference. And clearly... It's agitated a few Indian people, but I mean, just get on with it. You have your own opinions. You have your own newspapers, and you write your write your opinions in the newspapers. Why are you so concerned about what other people are writing? <laughs> so there's a battle happening on the field, and there's a battle happening in the newspapers now. One last question before I ask you about the eleven for the Aussie team. Virat Kohli, obviously trod a dangerous line after the last test match where he made comments that some feel could have warranted a fine. Where do you sit on that one? I mean, look, again, this is where, you know, rather than blaming Coley or Smith or Australia, this is where I blame completely the ICC. I mean, it, it is a matter of simple question here. Rat Coley has stated openly that he had, or the Indian team management had approached the match officials prior to that dismissal to state that that Australia had been bending the rules around the DRS. They were looking at... Now, it's clearly up to the ICC to question either Nigel Long or Richard Illingworth to say, well, or even broad, were you approached? Now, surely the umpires can give a, a confirmation of that. Now, if they've said yes, then, hang on, there is an issue here. If they say no, there is still an issue which sort of directs towards Indian team management or, I mean, you're accusing somebody of cheating without having any evidence. But then why wouldn't you, uh, the ICC step in? I think that's where it's disappointing. I mean, yes, Coley might have stepped, you know, stepped across the line. Yes, see, Smith crossed, might have crossed the line, referring to the, or looking at the change rooms. But here, this is what the umpires and match officials are paid to do their job, and clearly they haven't. It's a, it's a big loophole. It's a massive failure from the ICC. And that's why this... This whole test match is just blown completely out of proportion. And it's really sad because I think that second test match was one of the, the most fascinating, intriguing test matches I think we've seen for a long, long time.
Yeah, it was a fascinating match. I just before I ask you about the eleven, last thing about India, what's the fervor like around this series? I mean, there's a lot of interest in Australia with this series, and it starts at a great time for viewers to get home from work here, as you well know. But what's the fervor like in India, having you know the best cricket nation in the world touring there at the moment? Are they really into it? Is the coverage? huge you know is it is it dominating all the talk oh yeah absolutely especially given all the controversy that's happened as well and suddenly you know there's a bit of interest given that india absolutely smashed the palms over here just about you know two months ago and everyone thought australia will be the probably the easiest beat um during the home summer given new zealand came here then england and basically india's gone and sort of watched everyone and come Australia, they thought it would be easy and suddenly, after winning the first test, there's a fair amount of interest. It's been a prolonged home summer for India. But really, this test match, especially now, given it's one all, and people are just understanding the fact that if Australia even draw the series, that the border Kavaska trophy will remain in, in uh, Australia. So clearly, there's a huge pressure on India to win this series because, you know, they've talked about performing well. One thing, just going back to when we're talking about the way Indian people view their cricket, they expect their cricketers to be invincible at home because they feel, yes, even the the pitches are tailor-made for you, sometimes even doctored to an extent, if you can say that, then you should be winning. Now, if you're not able to win against a team that has not performed particularly well in Asia, there is something, this team is not really what everyone was expecting it to be, you know, maybe about a month ago when they walked over uh, England 4-0. So plenty of interest here. And people want to know that when India is really tested on how they will perform, not just India as a team, but Kohli as the skipper as well. Do they have enough uh, fuel in the tank to get through the last two test matches? I mean, it's a 13-test summer for the Indians. I mean, the, the Australians would never even consider that. Will they have the juice to get over the line? Well, there were questions, especially in regards to Ravi Ashwin on how he's pulling up. Uh, but he showed his class by, you know, basically winning that fourth test match, uh, sorry, the second test match on that fourth day in Bangalore. So that that might have been one of the reasons why that Pune pitch might have been dished out. We might have had, had that quick finish. But we've had two test matches gone for three, one less than three days, one uh, four days. So that might have worked towards India's, India's favour. They've had a nine-day break. They might just be running out of fuel, but to be honest, there's a lot on the line, especially with all the controversy that's gone on. I think that will drive India, and they will just have that little bit of that mental, you know, mental edge just to ensure that they beat Australia. Who knows what it might have been if if India had gone to kill Neil Arthur, they might have even started resting players, or a couple of players might have pulled out. But here. Um, I think there's a lot to play for, and I think that's really driving India in the last two test matches. Okay, so let's break down the changes that are going to happen to this Australian side. Two force changes, one potential injury change. Let's start with the number six position for Australia. Mitch Marsh has gone home with a bad shoulder. You've got Glenn Maxwell, Marcus Stoinis, and Usman Khawaj are the three main contenders with Ashton Agar as an outsider for the number six. My opinion, Gav, is that they will go for Glenn Maxwell. What do you think? Well, Glenn Maxwell hasn't been bowling a lot, so that means you're relying for Glenn Maxwell to bat. Now, 
he clearly, in terms of the pecking order, is below Usman Kawaja. Surely, if you're looking for a batsman, then you've got to pick Usman Kawaja. But where there's an interesting mix is because of Nathan Lyon's finger injury. Now, if Nathan Lyon injured that finger again through the test match, possibly might get hit on it, then what happens? You need an extra spinning option just as a backup. And that's where, you know, perhaps there's a chance for Glenn Maxwell to play. Um, clearly, I think Pat Cummins will get the nod ahead of Jackson Bird. And if that's the case, there's, do they need to play Marcus Stoinis because of the fitness concern that looms over Pat Cummins? I mean, I think, he, I think he's right to go. This is a joke. This is an absolute joke, Gav, what's going on. I mean, we're in a situation where the series is on the line and they're looking at rushing in two players from the Shield scene who've hardly been in India for more than a few days. I don't understand who picks these squads because if they were so certain that Stoinis and Cummins were the next cabs off the rank respectively, then they should have been there from the beginning. What is Maxi doing there? What is Kawaja doing there? What is Agar doing there? And why did they go to Dubai and prepare if you're going to rush two players in that have hardly bowled a ball in India in the last couple of years. It's no, ridiculous. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that now we're, you know, I, I, I mean, if Pat Cummins, I think clearly he's going to play because, he, as I mentioned to you, I think when the squad was picked, I think Australia is short of another quick bowler. Now, we probably didn't have many going around the domestic circuit because James Pattinson was injured and Pat Cummins was injured. But I'm not sure if Jackson Bird was the choice. Maybe he was the almost in as a backup for if anything happened to Josh Hazelwood. But then there was no backup for uh, Mitchell Stark. And now we've started to see all these changes when the series is on the line. But clearly the, the selectors have messed up. As you mentioned, I'm not sure what Weston and Agar have been picked here for. I think they got it wrong. Clearly, when the pitch is turning so much, and what you expect is a team with four bowlers to be able to bowl out teams. And that's what Australia's been able to do. So now pick your best four bowlers, who I think are Pat Cummins on this on this pitch, Josh Hazelwood undoubtedly, uh, Nathan Lyon and Stephen O'Keefe. They will get you 20 wickets. They've shown that in the last two test matches. Then pick your best six batsmen, which includes Usman Kawaja. But I doubt that's going to happen. I think, you know, given Darren Lehman's choice of having that little backup there or a bit of a safety net there, I think either Stoyner's um, or Glenn Maxwell might play. Given the history around Maxwell and how Darren Lehman uh, and so forth, I, I think they might could even potentially lead towards you know someone like Marcus Stoinis, but I'll be very surprised. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean. How is Stoinis going to score any runs over there? He's going to be like a deer in the headlights. He's going to get out there at, against Ashwin and Dudeza on a bloody minefield, having played for Victoria a week before. I just think it's really bad. I think Maxwell deserves a chance at six. I think we need that aggressive counter-attacking option down the order when we looked so hemmed in by the Indian attack in the last Test match. Why not throw Maxi in there? I mean, if he's not going to play in these wickets, he's never going to play anywhere. Yeah. I completely agree with you, and I and I think especially given given how how many how the scores have been throughout the series, you know, two fifty, two sixty has been a good score. So out of those two fifty, two sixty, if Glenn Maxwell even scores a forty odd, suddenly that could change, you know, the the fortunes of a match. You don't need someone to score an exactly. eighty and hundred and twenty here. The pitches just haven't been those flat ones as. We saw against, you know, India when they hosted England about two months ago. So 40 makes a difference. Is Glenn Maxwell good enough to score a 30-40? You'd have to say, yes, he has. But 
given the way that Australia's approach in India has been to sort of grind it out, be patient, if Maxwell doesn't fit into that, then he'll miss out, which, I mean, look, I, th- I, think, it's, it, I think they should play Glenn Maxwell. I think he's the ideal number six, given the injury that Nathan Lyon has as well. But then, you know, he hasn't been bowling around here as much as well. So... There's a lot to you know, ponder about. Well, I mean, there's something going on there because apparently Steve Smith doesn't rate Glenn Maxwell. I just think that there's something going on. If you're going to pick a squad, then you've got to have some idea of if an injury happens, who's going to slot in from the squad. And they've just left themselves all over the shop. I Just one thing about Jackson Bird. I know you said maybe he's a backup to Hazelwood, but I would think on a, a low, slow wicket, Bird's the sort of player that could get in close to the stumps and bowl stump to stump and give you a good 15 overs, 20 overs a day. Yeah, he can, but he just doesn't have the pace minutes. I mean, he. I think you'll find that most Indian batsmen, even watching them in the net, were batting a good metre out of their crease. And um, surely to overcome that, you need someone like a Cummins who's got a bit of pace to push... Not push them back, but just you know have a have a bit of consciousness in their mind to feel that this fellow can unsettle me with a bouncer or, or the pace he has. I don't think Jackson Bird just has that. Um, he's a terrific bowler, and there's, you know the ball nibbles around a bit, but he it's not going to seem. I think he, he seems seems the ball. It's definitely not going to seem, especially on the pitch I've seen here in Ranchi because the cracks are not going to open up. It's not as hot. I mean, I'm not sure if I mentioned this before, but it's it's not baking hot here in Ranchi. It's probably 26, 27 degrees. There, and the nights are quite pleasant. So it's actually very pleasant for cricket. I don't think we're going to see you know the, the typical Indian sort of sauna uh, when this test match gets away. So Jackson Bird, but then, as you mentioned, I'm not sure he, the only reason he's in the squad is to play as backup to Josh Hazelwood. So I can't see him and Hazelwood being teamed up on this pitch. Okay, what about Nathan Lyon's finger? You mentioned before it's his doubtful. Do you think he'll actually be able to play in this match? Yeah, I think so. I think the nine-day break has probably helped him. If it was maybe three or four days, it might have put a little bit of pressure on him. But I think that nine-day break, just watching him around in the field yesterday, he hasn't been doing a lot of bowling, clearly protecting that finger uh, not even fielding drills, you know, he's just throwing balls. And um, so clearly, I, I mean, he is a big hope for Australia. Clearly, he's our number one spinner, as he showed in that second test match on day one. Um, so he, he uh, he's certain, I think he'll definitely play, but I think they've just been very cautious with him, and rightfully so. You don't want your number one spinner going down, especially when the series is on the line. Yeah, I um, thought on that la- the the tail end of that second test match, Australia started to show signs of being a little bit frayed around the edges, like all the pressures in India that is are so well publicised might be starting to eat away at the fabric of this team. Having have you having been around them the last few days, what's your feeling about the mood of the team? Well, the mood's quite good. I mean, you know, but I think the, the momentum's probably just shifted, and Australia, I wonder, I thinking, look. We had a really good chance in in Bangalore, and, and um, we just let them off that hook in that second inning. Especially when India came out to bat, yes, the Rahane and Pujara partnership was, was huge. I, I also wrote about this. I wonder if Australia got slightly complacent once Coley was dismissed in that second inning. They probably felt, is there anyone good enough apart from Coley to take this game away from us? And that worked against them, uh, where. Jara and, and Rahani, uh, people were 
probably Australia hasn't, you know, they've heard of them, but haven't discussed as much as what Coley would have. They felt that they've got the big fish. We're going to win this test match. And I think it just got away from them. I wonder if Steve Smith sensing that that slight window of opportunity has already slipped. I, I'm, I'm hoping it hasn't. Uh, but you just might get that sense it has. And especially if they lose the top tee and India might manage to put on, you know, 300 or 350, you just wonder what might happen. But, you know, I, I'm sure they're trying to stay positive. I mean, Mitchell Stark is a, is a body blow. I mean, everyone in this series was expecting one huge lethal spell from Stark that would change the fortune of the test match. Maybe Cummins has one in him, but I, I think, you know, there's so much just momentum going towards India. Just looking at this pitch, if there's no bounce, it's just playing right into India's hands. So I think it's, I wonder if Australia's just missed that window in Bangalore in that second innings when they got that 87 run lead. Yeah, I sort of um, concur with that assessment of the way this series is going. Gav, my, my only one little hope is now that because it's a four-test series, we can win one of the next two and we can bring the Border Gavaskar trophy home and that will be an achievement. I think it's unlikely, but it's certainly a chance that India could get caught on the hop and we, you know, Smith wins a toss and we bat well in the first innings and reverse your scenario that you put out there. What do you think India will do for the next test? Many changes? Uh, no, I think it would just be one change. I think Murali Vijay will come in uh, at the top of the, the top of the order, but I think they'll remain same. I think they'll play the six batsmen and, and, and Jadeja and Ashwin will do a lot of the workload. Just looking forward, going to the fourth test match will be played in that beautiful stadium in Dharamshala. But it is at the foothills of the Himalayas. And if you people listening, you might just want to Google some of the weather there. And you never know. In bottom of the Himalayas, it can it can be a little bit funny. So we could get a potentially have a day that could you know be washed out because of because of weather. Um, and it's hard to predict weather there. So that just it makes you know this test match so important. And I think that's why you mentioned. I think India will throw everything into this game if we can somehow repel them. Um, and then get a win. I mean, that that will be huge. I think Pune was was one of the you know in the last 25 years one against the odds. So trying to win here in Ranchi, I think it will be one of the historic Test wins if Australia can pull this off. Well, Gav, I hope you enjoy yourself over there. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, uh, the day before the Test. Are you having a good time over there? Yeah, yeah, as as always. It's, you know, there's, there's plenty to do in India. You're plenty of people who chat about cricket and yeah and, and and the series has been sort of fascinating I, probably nobody apart from maybe five seven ten people in australia would have predicted that that you know australia will be one all after two test matches and that's what makes this beautiful cricket game of cricket we love so fascinating we're totally into it and i can't wait for that third and fourth test match to get get underway and uh, you said the nightlife is not too exciting and Ranchy, so you think you'll have to take it easy and um, lay off the big nights out after the cricket? Yeah, absolutely, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for an invitation from um, MS Dhoni uh, to invite me for dinner. So <laughs> hopefully that comes through and uh, maybe that might be on the cards. But that could depend if India win or Australia win. Well, I hope Australia win, and I hope you get an invite to MS Dhoni's house. Gav, thanks for joining us. Listeners, 
Thanks so much for downloading the Australian Cricket Podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week with a Founders show after the third test. It's going to be me, Joe and Macca. It's the rematch. We're going to confront all the issues that have been simmering away. Uh, Gav was caught in the crossfire, but there's been a lot of fallout. It's all going to come out on the show next week. Enjoy the third test, and listeners, we'll be back next week. What a marvellous stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series.